Will you turn with me to the word of God, please? We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I trust you have your Bible handy. So let's turn to the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read the first four verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory that what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry and song. Thank you for this table of remembrance. And we thank you, Lord, for your son. Thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. And now, Father, we thank you for your promised anointing. We thank you, Lord, that you've said that you'd be with us. And glorify your name, we pray. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. Paul is reading in the outline here for us. And Paul's reading here of First Corinthians chapter 15, and verses 1 to 4. We find that Paul is writing, I declare unto you the gospel. I'm so glad Paul didn't say, I declare unto you some spiritual guru. Nor did he say, I declare unto you some idol in a temple. He didn't say, I declare unto you some figurine where you must go to in some country. For a pilgrimage. No, no, Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel. He says, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand. Believer, here is where we stand this morning. Here's where we stand tomorrow morning and every morning for that day. is in the gospel of saving grace found in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is encapsulated in these verses that we have read this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, especially when Paul writes from verses 3 and 4. He tells us that Christ died, that Christ was buried, and that he rose again according to the Scriptures, or according to the Old Testament. That's the Scriptures where Paul would be referring to the promises and the prophetic utterances of God that Messiah would come, that the Son of God would be born, that he would come and bleed and die as our Redeemer, that he would be a man of flesh, yet he would be eternal God, that he would be uh, uh, laid on a tomb, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again the third day according to the Scriptures. There's our gospel, Christian, in a nutshell. And this gospel is different than every other religion simply because I can take you to the grave of Confucius. I could take you to the grave, as it were, of Muhammad. I could take you to the grave of every religious leader that ever there was. And even of those of standing in the entire world's history of religion. But you can go to a grave at Jerusalem, and it's empty. He is not here. 
He has risen, said those angels, those angelic beings that were at the graveside. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Or why seek ye the living one from among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. None other can say that he is risen. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. None other could pay our debt. None other could shed his blood and his blood be pure and spotless and perfect. None other could shed his blood that that we might be cleansed from all of our sin. None other fulfilled the prophecies that were spoken of. None other fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures nor kept the law of God that we couldn't keep. Only Christ alone. And he is risen from the dead. Notice what Paul writes. Notice here he's speaking and recalling to mind to the conscience of the believer. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye received, and in which ye stand, verse 2 says, by which ye also are saved. We stand in this gospel because we were saved by this gospel. We stand in what Christ has done. We glory in nothing of ourselves, but we glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in the power of the blood of the Lamb. We stand in the glory of Christ. We stand on his death. We stand in his burial. We stand in the resurrection. And by this also we are saved. So we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves is the gift of God and not of works lest any of us should boast. Notice, we stand, verse 2, we are saved. And notice here it says, If you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. There's many people who have said, I'll try this Jesus thing. Ah, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. Or they've come to a meeting and they've said off the cuff because of some sort of uh, conscious Uh, bearing religious experience. Oh, well, maybe Jesus will do me. And they find they've fallen away just as quick as they came. And I'll tell you what it is. They've maybe believed in vain. They've maybe believed in vain. Brothers and sisters, let's remember, especially this resurrection morning, let us remember what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished, what Christ has finished on Calvary's tree. Let us remember that he was in the tomb for three days and for three nights. Let us remember that he was raised again on the third day. And let us stand on that when all other things are failing and falling around us. For us, for me, it is Christ and Christ alone. Paul says, it's by this you are also you are saved. Notice saved. That means if some are saved and some have believed in vain, if some have saved and some have believed in vain, then it must also stand the reason that there are those who are saved and there are those who are lost. There are those who are in Christ and there are those who are outside of Christ. There are those who will be in Christ's kingdom and his glory, his heaven, and there are those who will not be in Christ's kingdom, his glory, and in his heaven. They will not be there. There are those who will be in the first resurrection of the dead. And there are those who will not be in the first resurrection of the dead. But those will be in the second resurrection. And that is the resurrection unto the judgment of the great white throne to the lake of fire. What a terrible thing. What a horrendous thought. What a way to end. I would say, friend, are you saved? 
Are you saved? Are you blood-bought? Are you blood-washed? Have you made your calling and election sure if you're unsure? Are you saved this morning? Are you Christ's this morning? Are you saved and serving? Are you going on with God? Are you living for Christ? Are you living every day for Christ? Here we have a wonderful gospel of a wonderful Savior from a wonderful God. For his name shall be called Wonderful, said Isaiah the prophet. Notice Paul brings us to the cross. He says, by which also ye are saved. Notice the cross where Paul has brought us to. Is a, a, he's bringing us afresh what he had preached. He's bringing to the Corinthians afresh what he had told them. Sometimes we need to refresh ourselves. Every day we should refresh ourselves of the cross. I hear people saying, oh, you don't need to always preach the cross. Friend, the cross is paramount. The cross should have the preeminence. That is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work, his finished work on the cross. People say there's too much preaching of the blood. You can never preach enough of the blood. You should never stop preaching the blood. You should not never stop speaking of the blood, whether it's with your family, with your friends, or even to God, proclaiming the blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, that cleanseth us from all our sin. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is remission of sin. Paul brings us to the cross. Let's come to the cross for a minute. Let's come to Calvary. Let's come to Golgotha's hill. Let's come to where Jesus shed his blood and died for us, where he redeemed us and where he washed us and he cleansed us. Paul is bringing the Corinthians anew and the fresh to the death, to the burial, and to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in our reading. Here our Lord was nailed to the old rugged tree. Here he hung and he bled and died in agony. Here our Lord took our sin and our shame and our sorrows. Here he died. Here his side was pierced. The riven side where the blood and the water flowed out. Here there came forth the crimson tide. Here was the stream that flowed for you and for me. Here our debt was paid. Here our salvation was procured. Here lives are changed. Here sins were forgiven. Here darkness becomes light. And here our wrongs become right. And here at the cross our burdens are made light. And here the blind receive sight. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. I'll never forget the day he saved me. I'll never forget the day I heard Pastor McConnell preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'll never forget the day when I went in as an alcoholic, drug addict. I'll never forget the day when I went in shipwrecked and I came out like a cruise liner 
became saved under the gospel. I'll never forget the day I went in lost and came out found. I'll never forget the day when I heard that Christ had died for my sins. I'll never forget the day and i seen a man with passion. i seen a man with reality. i seen a man who believed in everything that he preached. i seen a man who believed in this Christ that not only I heard of as a boy in a Sunday school, not only did I heard of when I was in some religious church meeting not only was I heard uh, from someone on a street corner but I seen a man who was God dying for me on Calvary's tree and there he as it were preached Christ and him crucified and the spirit took me and he quickened me regenerated me and he showed me the lamb of God that took away my sin and that bled and died for my redemption and there I seen my help and my hope my salvation and there I beheld him in all his wonder his glory his beauty and yes his majesty on the cross is his glory for there he glorified his father and there he saved a wretch like me Paul is drawing the Corinthians to the cross and this morning I pray in the power of the Holy Ghost and anointing that he would draw you a fresh and a new Christian to give you fresh sight, to give you fresh hope that is in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, but he died for me. And there he won the victory over the enemy. There he set this captive free. And I went in lost and came out found. I went in walking on the broad road to destruction, and I came out on the narrow path. For there I came repenting of my sin, and there I found my sins were washed away in the precious blood of the Lamb. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a precious Redeemer. He's a glorious Lord. He is our kinsman, Goel. Paul reminds them of the sacrifice of God's Son. I preached unto you the gospel. He says, I preached to you, Corinthians. He says, I preached to you, Ken, as it were, through this letter. I preached to you, whoever's watching. I preached to you, whoever will see. I preached to you, whoever will listen. And he says, and that you receive God's word in his Son and you trust in what the gospel says of him. And there you stand, and by this you're saved. There's three brief points I want to point out about being saved. First of all, the word salvation in both the Hebrew text and the Greek, it implies the idea of deliverance and safety and preservation, healing and soundness. And salvation here, it's a great inclusive word of the gospel which gathers into itself all, as it were, the redemptive acts and processes of Christ. Speaks of justification. The Father declared me righteous, a guilty, vile, useless, hell deserving sinner I was, on the broad road to destruction, aiming for a de devil's hell, a lake of fire. And there he found me. He drew me to that place. He drew me to the cross. 
He drew me to the preaching of the word. And now he declares me just as if I'd never sinned. He declares me righteous. My father says, my son, you are clean. Here, the all-encompassing word in this salvation, this gospel, it is justification. Redemption means to buy back what you once owed. We were lost and now we're found. And now he has redeemed. It means grace, not of ourselves, but a precious gift of God. It is that which we have not put our hands to, but what God has freely given. It means impartation, where he has imparted all that we need. Not that we have earned, and not that we have even had to plead, but rather he has given freely to us and forgiveness. Oh friend, do you know your sins forgiven? It's good to know you're forgiven. It's good to know you're forgiven of all your sins, even that you know of and the sins that you do not know of. It's good to know you're forgiven. It's good to know should you be launched out into eternity. It's good to be able to say, I am forgiven. I am forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am forgiven by my Father because I fully, wholly, only, solely, uniquely, and totally believe in Him and Him alone, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to know our sins are forgiven. Sanctification. It's good to know that we are sanctified, that we have His Spirit and sealed by the Holy Ghost unto the day of redemption, that we have His Spirit. And it's good one day we will have glorification when our bodies will be changed and be fashioned like unto His own glorious body. Christian, born-again Christian, blood-washed believer, blood-bought saint, if you are Christ's, Three things. First of all, the Christian is is saved. And the Christian has been saved and is being saved from all the guilt and the penalty of our sin as we're in our vile bodies. Secondly, the Christian is being saved from the habit and the dominion of sins in our lives. We should be striving to live a life for God, a holy life for God, a reverential life before God, and the habitual dominion of sin should be breaking off our life even though our fleshy carnal natures are frail and failing all the time we should be striving to live an overcoming life for God and notice thirdly the Christian will be saved in its entirety in his entirety and her entirety at the Lord's return from our bodily infirmities that are a result of sin and the curse upon our sinful father, Adam. And so this wonderful salvation at the cross is so much more than we could ever know or realize. And salvation must be experienced. It must be personal. And I ask you this morning, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? I didn't ask you, what church or what denomination? Then ask you, are you a nominal or if you're a cultural Protestant or if you're a, a Roman Catholic? I didn't ask you what religion you were. I said, are you saved? Are you saved through the blood 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. This means we must rest our hope in, on the total, in the total and complete finished work of Christ. Nothing to offer nor to add. Nothing to do but to receive God's Son, accept His death and the shedding of the blood for the remission and the forgiveness of our sins. Notice here something wonderful to look at. That our sins are paid at Calvary in full. Our sins are paid in Calvary in full. Even the sins we don't know. Sins that we commit we don't even know we commit. The very rotten, depraved nature of our flesh. Of our old nature of our flesh. Even that has been paid for by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love Horatio Spofford's hymn. But one of my favorite verses, not only from that hymn, but of all hymns is this. He writes, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Your soul has much to praise him for, for he has nailed all of our transgressions, all the breaking off the law of God, all of our sins, not in part but the whole, has been nailed to the cross in Christ. I love what Isaiah wrote 750 or so years before it was accomplished in Calvary. In Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, but he was wounded, For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him. The iniquity of us all. Or as it were Yahweh hath laid on him. Or the Father hath laid on his son. The iniquity of us all, all of my sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've paid my debt in full. In 1 John 2 and 22, I love it when he says of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. The word propitiation, he's the mercy seat, like the mercy on the mercy seat, the golden lid of the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, then the temple. And there is the mercy. Here is the high priest, the sinner. And he goes in with the breastplate of judgment, with the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the Israel in judgment, with their names engraven on it of the 12 tribes. And here he comes, the man, the sinner, representing the sinners. And here he sprinkles the mercy seat, the golden lid, of the Ark of the Covenant with the blood, the, the shed blood of the Lamb. And he sprinkles that. And there is the mercy. Here is the sinner. Down comes the glory. And the only thing to stop the sinner being consumed and destroyed was the blood upon the mercy seat. That is the propitiation. Jesus is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat. He is the mercy of God toward us. He is our great high priest 
who walks in bearing our sin, as it were, on his own body on the tree to the cross. And now he is in glory. And there his blood that was shed on the cross still speaks for me in the tabernacle in heaven, in the sanctuary of glory. And there he shows his wounds and spreads his hands. And we are saved in him. Notice here, it also says in Acts 10 and 43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him should receive remission of sins. Friend, I trust you're believing in him, in him alone, and that you are receiving the remission of sins. Notice Acts 13 and verse 38, what it says. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, through the Lord Jesus Christ, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. 39 says, And by him all that believe are justified from all things. All that believe are just as if they never sinned. They have been declared righteous by the Father. So Galatians 1 and 4 says, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And Ephesians 1 and verse 7 tells us that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And notice again, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 tells us that we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. Then he says in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. What other avenue? What other sacrifice? What other gift? What other offering would a man or a woman dare to bring to God for their own salvation and their redemption? There is none other. There's nothing else. There's none else. And there's nowhere else that you can go but to the cross and under by faith the blood that Christ has shed. And so here we find the cross. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then he says, and that he was buried. Here's our second point, and that he was buried. <clears throat> now it might seem a little silly or even stupid to ask a question, why was Jesus buried? Well, naturally after death comes the burial, isn't that right? The ceremonial, the funeral ceremony and, and so forth uh, to the burial. So it's a natural thing. You might say, well, that's a really silly and stupid question. But one would thought, not only is it natural, but really in the times when Paul was writing this, and even in, in medieval London, in England as well, they would have kept someone who, who was a criminal hanging, either if they were hung by the neck or here if they were crucified by the roadside as a deterrent, as a warning. Visual deterrent to tell people this is what happens to those who are criminals. This is what happens to those who break the law and are sentenced to death. And so you better watch yourself. And friend, in a sense here, this is where we should have been. 
Uh, he's our great substitute on the cross. We should have been there. We should have been taking the pain and the shame and the punishment and the cross and, and the horrific, gory nature, the bloodletting as it were of it, uh, and all the things that happened to him at the hands of the Roman soldiers through the cries of the Pharisees and the Jews that day. Friend, all of that should have happened to us but that isn't even the worst of it. The worst of it was when he was separated, as it were, from his father, when he cried, my God, my God, why has I forsaken me? And the worst of it was even when the wrath of God was poured upon him, when he paid the penalty for your sin and mine, the wrath of God was poured on him. That's the worst part that we can't even imagine, nor will we ever know but we are the recipients of the blessings of it. We should have been there, for we were the guilty, and he was the innocent. He was the just who died for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. But here they take him down from the cross. They take him down from the cross and Note there's a little verse we want to read in the book of Deuteronomy. A little couple of verses, Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any way wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Here the Lord says, you don't leave him hanging on a tree. He's accursed of God. That's why they take him down from the cross. It was on high Sabbath, and this weekend, he was, it was an important weekend. It was a Passover weekend. No, they can't have the vision of Christ. No way. Take that man down. Take him down from the tree. Take him down and get rid of him. And that's the, that's the attitude of many people in our land today. That's the attitude of many in Britain. That's the attitude of many of United Kingdom. That's the attitude of many. They say, we don't want to know about this Christ whom you preached that was crucified Take him down, as it were, and out of my sight and out of our way and get rid of him and don't speak about him again. Friend, once you have seen the crucified Lord of glory, you cannot but help yourself but speak of his cross. And friend, we speak of his cross and we preach of his blood and we tell of his sacrifice and we proclaim him to the world and to the nation that Christ hath died and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Oh, how can one redeemed soul such as mine not be excited, not get enthused and not be impassioned by what he has accomplished, by what he has done for us? Friend, even whether you're at home or where you are, I trust your heart is racing. I trust your heart is jumping. I trust your heart is skipping. I trust your spirit 
is rejoicing in your, in your Savior and in your Father. I trust that the Spirit of the Lord is showing you afresh and anew the Lord Jesus Christ, your wonderful Savior. Deuteronomy 21 tells, take him down. That's why they took him down from the cross as if they were being holy, as if these people were reverencing God, as if they were keeping the law. Oh, they were keeping their own tradition for they crucified Christ in a quango court. And there they broke more laws that night than many of the sinners they professed to try and get on a narrow path. Notice here, friend, the Lord Jesus Christ was taken down from the cross. Matthew 27 and verse 60 says that we are told that he took Jesus down from the, Lord, the body of the Lord Jesus and laid him in a tomb. And we're told to rolled a great stone up to the door of the sepulcher. So what's special about him being buried? Notice there's only a simple line in our reading. Notice it says in verse 4, on that he was buried. One verse here to say, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Then it just seems, and that he was buried. And then it goes on to say, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But it's simple, and that he was buried. It seems the death of our Lord Jesus Christ was the last stage, as it were, of his humiliation. I want you to take note for the erroneous thoughts that our Lord Jesus Christ went to hell. That our Lord Jesus Christ was somehow tortured in hell then was born again. Be aware of those scandalous, erroneous, heretical ideas. Our Lord Jesus Christ never needed to be born again. Our Lord Jesus Christ came and died and rose again that we might be born again, that we might be born from above, that we might be saved. Notice the Lord Jesus Christ in humiliation went to the cross, cried, it is finished. The suffering on the cross may have been over, but they led him in a tomb. You see, man's curse was this. The Lord said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, and dust thou shalt go. Here our Lord went into death. Here our Lord died. He didn't swoon. He didn't escape. He didn't pretend. He didn't faint. He died. How do we know he died? The Romans came and they put the spear right in through his ribcage and up into the pericardium sack around the heart and they punctured it with the spear and pulling it out there came forth the blood and the water. Praise his holy name. Christ entered right into death. Christ died for our sins. He died. Christ was dead. Notice this. The wonderful thing about this. Some people say, oh, did not Jesus, did he not cry in the garden? Father, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou wilt. That he was, he was praying that the Father would take away death. He wouldn't have to enter into death, some people say. He cried in the garden of Gethsemane that he wouldn't die. That's not true, friend, and let none other place that on you. 
Let none other tell you that, for that is nothing but man's uh, thinking to try and debauch the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 says of the Lord Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You see, people say, ah, so it's true. Jesus cried that, he would, that the Father would save him from death. Friend, the word from here just needs a look at. The word from here, from in the Scriptures in the Greek New Testament can have a few words, but two main words are these. One can be apo, apo, which means from the edge of from the edge of. And the other one can be ek, which means out from within, out from within. So, for example, this morning, we came to this building. We didn't come to the doors and say we've come to church, as it were, the church building, and then leave again. That's apo. We came right into the building. We had this service. We got around the table. We have preached the word. And so we will leave again. That is ek. The word for from here is not apo. For then Jesus would have been saying, Father, let me come even to the edge of death. Let me come to where I'm nearly dead and then raise me back or, or resuscitate me out of it from a fainted position. Or people would have been right. But the word he uses here is not apo from the edge off. It's the word ek. It means I'm going right into death. I will die, but I know, Father, that you're hearing my prayers, that you will raise me again out from within death. That is what he did when he went to the cross. Psalm 16 and verse 10. Psalm 16 and verse 10. It's also repeated in Acts 2 and in Acts chapter 13. Psalm 16 and verse 10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, that is the grave. That is not a burning lake of fire here. That is the re re realms and the regions of those who have died. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And you see, they believed that on the third day, on the third day they believed that corruption set in. And so when Lazarus had died and Jesus went to raise Lazarus, Remember, his sister come out and he says, show me where you've put him, uh, where he's laying. And they said, Lord, he's, he, he's dead four days already. By this time, he stinketh or he's stinking by now because four days meant corruption would set in. They believed that corruption would be in the body. And so Jesus still raised Lazarus from the dead, as we know. And But here, the Lord Jesus was raised on the third day. Because, he says, I wilt not leave my soul in the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And the Father raised him on the third day. He won't leave me in the realms of the dead, in other words. And thy body will not corrupt, but you will raise me up again. Notice, lastly, the resurrection. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and in verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures, he, Jesus rose again the third day. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ not only proves that he's God, but also that he has a threefold significance. First of all, this resurrection, it constituted of the Father that it was the last enemy had been defeated. Notice the word defeated. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15 in our chapter, and in verse 26 it says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now we're still dying. We're still dying until Jesus returns again. So it has not been destroyed, but it has been defeated. It has been defeated. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, and in verse 54, at the coming of Christ and the changing of our bodies at the resurrection, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought the pass of saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the Lord, but as the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Jesus rose the third day, and it constituted the Father that the last enemy had been defeated. That is death. Jesus defeated death. 2 Timothy 1 and 10 tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's abolished death and hath brought life. And the word abolished here in the original text really means, it means he has made death unemployed. He has made death unemployed. For it will no longer have a hold on us. It means that he has taken death and he has defeated it. And because he lives, we shall live also. And for example, in, in Revelation 20 and in verse 14, death and hell or the grave or the realms of the dead are cast into the lake of fire. There's a second resurrection as he spoke of earlier of those who are not saved, who are not under the blood, who are not trusting in the cross work of Christ. And this second resurrection, they're not found written in the Lamb's book of life and so they are cast into the lake of fire which is the second death. If you're in the second resurrection, there's the second death. The second death. Revelation 21 and verse 4, it says, there be no more death. Then death has been swallowed up in victory. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 22 says, but now is Christ risen from the dead become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Friend, are you in Christ tonight, today, this morning? Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Romans 4, verses 24 and verses 25 said, If we believe in him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification, then that is the, him who was raised up, the Lord Jesus. Do we believe in him? Do you believe in him? Then we will have everlasting, or we have everlasting life. Racing on, coming to a close. Philippians 3 and 10 says, Paul's desire was that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Here's the resurrection of the saints. The resurrection of the blood-washed. 
The resurrection of the blood bought. The first resurrection. First Peter 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know what Jesus said in John 14 and verse 19? He says, because I live, ye shall live also. Because Jesus is alive, we shall live also. Friends, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus was not the only one in the scriptures to be resurrected. The widow woman's son of 1 Kings 17. Luke chapter 7, we have the widow woman's son of Nain. Now, funeral came out as well, another widow woman's son. In John 11, we have Lazarus, whom we spoke about. Matthew 27, are those that came out of their graves. There was a little girl that he took by the hand and raised her from the dead and gave her back to her mommy and her daddy. Oh, what a day that'll be whenever loved ones in Christ are reunited and joined together again in Christ. All of them were raised from the dead, but they died again until the resurrection. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he says, I am alive forevermore. Lord Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay down my life. What did he say? I have the power to take it up again. So in 1 Corinthians 15 and 14, listen to what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserably. Paul's saying if Christ isn't resurrected, if he's not raised from the dead, we're still in our sin. We're miserable. We can live for Christ, but what's the use? Because we're going to die anyway and not be raised from the dead. If this life is all there is, he's saying, then we're miserable. You're still in your sin, he says, if Christ isn't risen from the dead. That men like me, like Paul and others who preach the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, the bodily resurrection of Christ this morning. Then he says, we are false witnesses that Christ has raised from the dead. But notice what he says then. Verse 17, verse 18, they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Those loved ones who were Christians who have been saved and died then, they have perished too. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ 
shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ of firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till, all, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Friend, Christ died for our sins. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day. He's coming again to put all enemies under his feet. And then death will be finished for we shall be changed in our body. And there'll be no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more suffering. No more separation from our loved ones. What a glorious gospel. Paul says this is the gospel we have preached to you. And this gospel, stand in it, for it's by this gospel that you're saved. May God bless you this morning. May God encourage you this morning. May God strengthen you this morning. May God save you this morning if you're not saved. And may you do, do so, that you find your way to the cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Father, again, we thank you this morning for your son, We thank you for his precious blood. We thank you for this gospel, this truth. Thy word is truth. And we thank you for it. Blessed are our hearts. And if there's one, those who do not know you, would you save them, Lord, and draw them to the cross? And if for those, Lord, who have backslidden, Lord, would you warm their hearts and bring them home? Call them, O God. Call the dead. And call those, Lord, who are wavering. Glorify your name and build up the saints. Heal the sick and touch their bodies and protect our nations and our land. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. May God bless you and trust tonight at six o'clock we're going to look at how have you washed your hands? We're hearing it a lot. Wash your hands, wash your hands. Have you washed your hands? Sometimes it could be a good thing but there's times it might be a bad thing in the scripture but not for this time. I trust you'll come on at six o'clock where I'll be taking the word from my study and my desk. May God bless you all.